This podcast is brought to you by Knowledge at Wharton and the Boston Consulting Group. Marshall W. Meyer, a professor of management at Wharton, has made many trips to China to research the rapid growth of its economy and the successes and difficulties it's had in growing so quickly. In this podcast, part of a series of interviews on procurement, Meyer discusses the recent controversy surrounding China's exports of substandard toys and pharmaceuticals to the United States and the implications for supply chain management. Thanks for joining us on this podcast, Marshall. Glad to be with you, Steve. Um, as you know, there's been no shortage of press reports uh, in recent months about the questionable quality of many of the products that are coming out of China. Um, what's your take on this issue? How serious a problem is this? Any time a product poses risks to children, poses risks to people who are seeking medical treatment, it's a serious problem. So the magnitude of the problem uh, may be limited, but still, I, th I think we have to take all of these issues uh, quite seriously. And in your view, does the, um, do the press reports that we've been seeing um, on China's products parallel in any way the, the products that produced, produced, say, by Japan back in the 1950s when it was emerging from World War II and trying to get its economy going? Are there historical parallels, do you think, to these issues with China? There are and there aren't. I mean, the parallel is this. Uh, if you look at Japan uh, prior to the 1960s or Korea prior to the 1980s, a lot of the products uh, they were producing uh, were inexpensive products, and uh, uh, people would sometimes joke about them. I don't think that uh, that the, the, the products uh, coming out of Japan and Korea at those times uh, posed uh, threats to kids. But my memory could be wrong on this. I do have a distinct recollection, uh, however, and this is from the early 1970s, when... Uh, uh, model railroad shops were uh, retailing some HO trains from Korea, and uh, I, I will tell you, Steve, they were marketed as, quote, the disaster series. Mm, okay. They were so bad. They were a joke. Um, but, of course, things have changed very, very rapidly for Japan and for Korea. And in the case of China, would you say that the experience of these shoddy products, for lack of a better word, has been limited? Um, is there something inherent in manufacturing systems in that country or in the way that the companies in China approach manufacturing that, have, um, that has led to these kinds of problems? Is there anything inherently uh, kind of awry in China that would uh, cause this kind of thing? I, I don't know if it's inherently awry in China, but I think um, there are some differences between Chinese-U.S. systems that... Um, um, U.S. firms, U.S. distributors uh, don't fully appreciate. Let, let me start with an example close to home. We've all been reading about the Boeing 787, and as of this morning, Boeing promises that the Dreamliner will be delivered on time. Still, they've encountered some difficulties uh, in meeting schedules. And what you read suggests that their, their very lengthy supply chain is getting in their way. Yeah, there, there are countless numbers of suppliers involved in putting together all the components on a 787, and it's possible that Boeing uh, underestimated the complexity of managing all of them uh, simultaneously to a single deadline. Now let's turn to China. It's very interesting in China. First of all, Chinese firms are very small compared to U.S. firms. Most people don't appreciate that. 
Secondly, um, Chinese prefer uh, to operate through arms like the contract rather than building large firms. There's a term for it. Uh, it's called chunbao sometimes. It, it means literally contracting. And that means, to give you an extreme illustration of it, say you get in a taxi in Shanghai and say, take me up to Suzhou, which is a good long ride. It would normally be about 300, 350 RMB on the meter. Uh, let's, let's say that would be about, you know, $45, okay. And you agree with the cabbie on a fare, don't do it on the meter. Well, I'll just give you 400 RMB, tax tips, tolls, all included. And uh, you hop in the cab, and he goes three blocks uh, and waves down his friend and says to him, um, you know, will you take these folks up to Suzhou for 300 RMB? And next thing you know, you're transferred to the other taxi cab. And uh, the first driver pockets the difference, and uh, you get your ride up to Suzhou. That's not a problem. It's interesting how transactional so many events are in China. Now, let's go to manufacturing. Uh, the large manufacturers, let's look at toys like Mattel, normally uh, forbid second, third-tier subcontractors. And yet, when you look, what you'll see in many instances is, is that in violation of contract terms sometimes, uh, second, third, fourth tier subcontractors are used. All of this aimed at getting the costs down. So the issue is partly whether this conforms to contractual arrangements, but it's also partly whether you can administer this effectively, whether you can control it, whether you know the ingredients of, or the components going into your products. And I think that's where a special kind of problem lies in China. Now, the Bush administration uh, recently signed some product safety agreements with China um, that place added responsibility on China to regulate exports of um, some pretty important products, drugs, medical devices, food for people, right. and animal feed. What, what's your reaction to, this, to, this, uh, to these agreements? Okay, this is part of the ongoing strategic economic dialogue. It's the third meeting they started a year ago in December, had a May meeting in Washington, uh, having their December meeting uh, again in China. I have a couple of reactions to it. The first reaction is, Good progress, uh, moving in the right direction here. Um, China is clearly interested in maintaining an open door, I think, on both sides of the water. They talk about it as if it's on both sides of the water. And I think this administration uh, is interested in the same thing, and I think all parties acknowledge that a little bit of supervision um, is uh, going to be very helpful here. What, what really interested me um, is, and, and this, we, we're getting very, very early reports because the talks were only today. Of course, it's 12 hours later over there, 13 hours later over there. But what, what's really interesting to me is that the talks are described as heated and they're described as going past uh, uh, the deadline or the, the time limit set on the agenda. They went late an hour or so today. I take this as a very, very positive sign. I uh, I, I learned from some of my Chinese friends uh, a year, almost a year ago at the end of January who had observed these talks that uh, the participants uh, dropped all pretense and began speaking with one another very, very frankly and you know, have been constantly emailing, if not talking with one another on the phone since. So I, I, I see all of this as, as, as good progress. Now, here's the caveat. The issue in China is always the ability of the central government to actually control things on the local level. Will the central government be able 
to carry out the inspections promised? Will they delegate this to provinces and the larger municipalities? And if so, with what impact? Uh, I think we need answers to these questions, and um, we, need, we need constantly to monitor this. Now, given um, everything you've said so far, Marshall, um, let's talk a little bit now about the, the specific focus of our podcast series on procurement. Again, as you well know, companies, many, many U.S. firms and firms in Western Europe, in Asia even, um, rely on China for products. What steps should be taken to deal with this quality issue by companies that rely on Chinese firms uh, to make their products? Um, How do they view this and how should they handle it? Well, first of all, um, it's urgent that they take these steps. Secondly, these steps may be more important in the end than the strategic economic dialogue. Uh, third, here are the steps um, I think they're going to have to take. Okay. As everyone knows, in, in China, transactions uh, occur between people who know one another. You have dinner three or four times and do a transaction, not the other way around. As a consequence, in order to be sure that contracts are carried out as written, uh, you have to have people uh, over there. You have to have people in country uh, you have to have people who are actively monitoring um, the execution of contracts. I think uh, Western firms have underestimated the need to have people on the ground actually watching what their suppliers are doing. I don't think the suppliers would take this as a burden. They would take it as a compliment. Um, someone's there. They want to talk with us. They want to be our friend. They want to eat meals with us. And um, this, will, this will cost money. But I think in the end, the cost of the firms, and also, most importantly, the cost of the consumer is going to be a heck of a lot less. So I would strongly urge firms to reconsider their policies of encouraging arm's length and low-cost transactions and investing more in putting their own people on the ground over there with their suppliers, with subcontractors if there are any, so that they can be sure who is producing the goods for which they are ultimately responsible. And are there any impediments in place uh, within China, uh, perhaps imposed by the government, um, or maybe just cultural impediments that would not permit procurement people outside China from going into the country? I I think quite the opposite. I I think that it would be encouraged over there because people are always complimented when someone comes to visit them. You know, so many conversations with folks in China end up, come visit Beijing, come visit Shanghai, come visit Suzhou. So I I think quite the opposite. Uh, I I think that would be welcomed by all parties. And I think at the end of the day, it's going to be far more effective than relying on the central government to take care of these issues. Sure. Is there anything specifically that, let's assume, for example, that a firm, uh, someone listening to our podcast his or her company is thinking of, of sourcing from, from China, or if they all already are, maybe increasing the, the amount of business they do there. What specific people, employees, should be going to China, again, to do the things you suggest? Should they be people who are well-versed in procurement, or should they be more senior company managers in order to show the Chinese that they have a, that they have a great interest in, in working with suppliers? Do you have any examples of who do you think should actually go there and do this work? Well, if if senior people have time, um, uh, a courtesy visit or two, always very, very helpful. You get your picture taken, your picture's on the wall, you become a presence. But I think some operational people should uh, take a look alongside the procurement people. The procurement folks are motivated by cost, the operational people more likely by quality. 
And so I think it's very important that people who have deep familiarity with a production process look at the contractors and subcontractors' processes in order to verify that those processes are going to produce products to the standard you're expecting. And, Marshall, does this mean that folks from outside China who are going there should expect to spend, what would you say, days, weeks, uh, months at a time at a given uh, site, or should they be traveling back and forth frequently? How would, as a practical matter, how would you, how much time do you think would be involved in this? Well, I think that uh, the, 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 I don't think weeks are required. I think days are required on site. It would depend on the industry. The more complicated the technology, the more time. But uh, a single visit's not going to do it. Uh, you've got to go and renew those relationships every four months, six months, probably once a year is not enough. Uh, so it's, it, it, it's not extended travel, but it's perhaps more frequent travel that's in order. Do you think that there are any lessons that can be learned by procurement people who are perhaps sourcing from other countries, uh, from countries other than China, whether it's in Latin America or India, that can be applied to the Chinese experience or not? I mean, I guess what I'm saying is if Company X has been sourcing from, say, India for a while and decides that they want to increase their activity in China, is there anything that's transferable from one country to another in this case, or are there... Uh, or could, can that not happen? It, it, it's hard. It's hard to say. I mean, you know, people develop general savvy about working outside their home country, and that's always quite valuable. But I think that China is almost unique in the extensiveness of subcontracting, and um, there, uh, you know, India, which has very, very large firms. Uh, may not may not be similar. And my guess, but I don't know, would be that Latin America. Uh, is also going to have much larger companies in China and not be so involved in subcontracting. And in terms of the, uh, uh, of the Chinese experience with quality issues, do you think it's going to take a long time for a lot of those, those issues to be resolved in, in terms of China bringing, up, bringing its processes up to snuff, et cetera, um, you know, educating and, and the, the right people and finding the right managers to run these smaller companies that you've talked about. Is this going to be a long time coming? Are we going to be reading about quality issues in China for many years to come, or do you think it will fade eventually? Oh, I think that the issue will always be with us, but I also think its significance will, will, will fade a bit because the market will punish firms bringing inferior goods into the U.S. or to any Western country. U.S. We have strict liability. Everyone, everyone in the in the supply chain is liable, and as a consequence, um, firms like Mattel again will pay a lot more attention than they used to the quality goods coming out out of China. I think the longer term issue is going to be the quality of goods available to the Chinese consumer because the laws in China uh, are not enforced with the same rigor as they are in the U.S. And so it, it's going to be. I think a longer time before the Chinese public could be as confident of what they're buying as can the public in the U.S., Western Europe, and the like. Well, we've been speaking with Wharton Management Professor Marshall Meyer. Marshall, thanks for taking the time today to talk with Knowledge at Wharton. Thanks. It's been a pleasure being with you this morning, Steve. Thank you for listening to Part 6 of our series on procurement. In the next segment, BCG Partner and Managing Director Bob Tevelson will discuss strategies for managing commodity risk. For more information about the Boston Consulting Group, visit bcg.com. 
For business news and analysis from Knowledge at Wharton, visit knowledge.wharton.upenn.edu.